All right, the penultimate podcast of the season. I love the word penultimate. It confuses me. I know what it means, but it doesn't, I don't know why it's penultimate. Well, don't don't question it. It's a second to last. enjoy it. I guess so. Relish. Does sound good. Brace. Uh, Second to last is what it means. Second to final. That is the voice of one Mike Heike, senior writer for DallasStars.com. The man right next to him is the great Tom Holy, who's been downgraded to just holy puckaganda this week, and he's struggling with that physically and mentally after a star turn on the podcast a week ago. It was wonderful. And engineering and also chiming in this week is Cody Eastwood. You remind me of dog dung. That's my... Clint Eastwood imitation that goes deeper than that. But it's great to have you here as well. Uh, everybody's using sign language. So I'm going to run down the uh, list or the uh, run. I think they call it actually run the sheet. rundown or run sheet. We've never done this on Rinky Dinking. So this is something new. We are emanating from what they call Cowtown. I know a lot of people get confused by that because they believe Fort Worth to be Cowtown. This is Cowtown, Canada, CA, Cowtown.ca. They have the stampede here. Calgary stampede. Yeah, they do. Yahoo! That's why they do that at the old hockey game. Uh, But we're not going to talk about the Flames so much as we're going to talk about the team that shut out the Flames last night, the LA Kings, in two segments of Rinky Dinky. Isn't that weird? It is. It is. We're going to talk celebrity broadcasters. We're going to talk why don't the stars draft WHL talent anymore. We're going, to, we're going to ask the question, who do fans want in the first round? We're going to get into holy puckaganda this week, and it's, it's a double barrel puckaganda as he delves into goaltending, which we've done a few times on the old podcast this year. And the other is uh, Tyler Sagan in Western Canada. That sounds adventurous, doesn't it? Just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. Uh, Drew Doughty and, and player honesty we'd like to touch on. That's our second King's entity or entry. Maybe a little thing. You, you wrote a wonderful uh, piece on Jason Spezza and both sides of it, just trying to understand what goes through a veteran player's world when all of a sudden they're not part of the 18 that dress on a given night. And we have a, a very special segment. Forget about Oprah. We have Cody's Book Club. So let, yes, thank you. <laughs> so let's start with with the Kings, and I I encourage the others to grab microphones and and chime in. Although we only have two, so we'll have to share. In an attempt to sort of, I think I can say this: dust the turd with icing sugar. The L.A. Kings have incorporated uh, celebrity guests into their broadcast this season and Will Farrell as Ron Burgundy was frigging awesome the other day and I mean it's it was tremendous on so many different levels I'm a huge Anchorman fan and that's who he was calling the game of course they have yet to win a Stanley Cup that was his, <laughs> he went off on the <laughs> San Jose Sharks zero cups and they had Snoop Dogg in there at one point as well, uh, who switched his allegiance very quickly, didn't he? Wasn't he a duck? He was all in on the ducks. He, then, has, he has many hockey jerseys. He yes. wears them at concerts. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, but if, if we were going to ask the question, uh, first off, do the Stars have a celebrity fan? Who, who, who's the Stars celebrity fan? Tom Holy. B.J. Thomas Tom Holy might day. know. Talk long, Tom, because I'm eating Timbits. Well, yeah, like you were talking about a turd that you dusted with, what did you say, sprinkles? We don't have that here. We're in Canada. We have Timbits, and they are fresh. Mm. Uh, Taylor Kitsch has been out a couple times. We've had a series of people come through. Des Bryant came through and got to see his yeah. very first okay. game. When I was thinking of this, I was like, Okay, has Roger Staubach? You just go through one Dallas Cowboy well, after another. Staubach came to Madonna's retirement ceremony. What about Rowdy? Have we had him out? 
We actually Rowdy was route. We went to a police uh, affair where Rowdy and Victory Green both attended along with. But there's no real. Is there? We had B.J. Thomas back in the day. <laughs> he sang the anthem in the late '90s. That was our guy. Raindrops keep falling on your head, Tom. Well, we got Daryl Razor Ray. Yeah, I know exactly. And Victory Green. Do I get to make my suggestion now? Well, yes, because we can't come up with a true celebrity fan right now from Dallas-Fort Worth. So suggestions, the suggestion box is wide open, Mike. Go ahead, lead us off. The most recognizable voice in all of Texas. All right, all right, all right. Oh, McConaughey. He does, uh, what does he do, the Carl's Jr., uh, ads he does the he does Texas, a whiskey he does whiskey Wild turkey, he does isn't it? Lincoln the Lincoln one is hilarious mm. because he's doing that well that part where he's rubbing his fingers mm. together then he t- makes the pool cue shot gets in the car and this is the sound he makes mm. <laughs> that's the whole thing that's what they're it's paying beautiful. him for it was a nice grunt like that yes that's <laughs> acting that is acting uh, do you think he has any idea about hockey or he's a huge university of texas fan well they don't have a real deep hockey program there as of yet the longhorn he was an interstellar and we are the stars well bang (laughs) done (laughs) we'll take any space (laughs) cowboy that's right i thought we should we should invite big tex to be a part of things that would be funny and especially leading into the winter classic howdy Howdy, (laughs) folks Welcome to Dallas Stars Hockey. It'd be great. I would love it. Just have him voice some lines for in the game. It's a big safe by Ben Bishop. Big Ben Bishop. (laughs) Howdy, y'all. The other was uh, Tony Romo. Yes. Who would tell us what's going to happen in the second period midway through the first. Because that's what he does. I would love that. You and him would get along very well. Now, my third is... What needs to happen. And he's been wonderful with his time in past. He dropped in on our golf tournament one year and helped out, give out awards and what have you. But Faraday, David Faraday, who who does have a little history with hockey and an appreciation for the sport and what have you. It just, can you imagine? Just have him. I, I think he would, and he's a local guy, right? Yep. He's I think he's aware of mind vitamins. He yeah. can throw a few things out there just to make the people think. I'd put him down, you know, because he's so used to walking inside the ropes with the guys. And I just put him between the benches, put him downstairs. That'd be fun. There you go. Bam. Tom? Could a random person go between the benches and be aware of everything uh, no, going on? No. Like, is there put, a safety concern? Yeah, we'd probably have to put a full cage on him or something <laughs> like that. But Make it even better. Um, <laughs> in a full cage. Just, I, I can't get over... I can't get over Will Ferrell doing Ron Burgundy on that broadcast, though. It was just so much fun to hear him spouting off Foxy, puppet Martin Jones, the puppeteer. It's just so much fun when it's just throwaway hockey, yeah. right? And it's you don't want to be in that spot no. for the most part. A lot of games. It seems more of a baseball thing. You know, you can have lots of people drop in on a baseball yeah. broadcast because you're going on for the better part of a week on every broadcast, I think. But anyway. But wait, if you had Will Ferrell as Ron Burgundy in your booth, would you develop a character that you think would live in his world, or would you be yourself? I would have to be a character. How would you be? It would be difficult to be straight with that. Would it not? Yeah. Veronica Corningstone. (laughs) All right, moving on. The uh, uh, podcast broadcast, both will be... Coming from Western Canada, because we're out here now in the Western Swing. A wonderful victory last night in Winnipeg. And I've been saving this one up a little bit, just to spitball it around. As we come uh, to you from a wonderful ballroom or boardroom. Is it more a boardroom than a ballroom? We should come from a ballroom one time. Maybe lay the parquet floor down and really... Trip the light fantastic in there. Uh, Anywho, on behalf of the WHL, or the Western Hockey League, as we sit here in Calgary, Alberta, the heart of the West, if you will, me as a proud former second-round draft pick of the Edmonton Oilers, out of the premier junior franchise in North America, the Kamloops Blazers, 
than the Kamloops Junior Oilers. What happened? Why, why have the stars gone away from Western Canada? Why have they shunned Western Canada? You know, it's interesting, too. I, you hate to sit there and say that each area has a personality, but it's pretty easy to pick out a guy from Ontario versus a guy from Western Canada. There are different personality traits that they get playing. Do tell, Mike Heike. You know, I think the Western guys are maybe a little bit tougher, had to work a little bit harder, maybe came from a farm instead of... Uh, oh, I, you're, you're broad-brushing things I am. Now. And, it, you know, Quebec's the same thing. You know, high-skilled, maybe not so much defense in the Quebec League. That's why the They've, goalies are so good. Yeah, you're, you're, you're perpetuating a sort of stereotype of what's going there. on. It's changed, from my understanding. It was very clear-cut. When I played in the Western Hockey League, you're right. I mean, you got tough farm boys out west you had we used to think uh very cake uh, eaters no that, that was <laughs> other was <laughs> other area of the globe but they were uh, a lot of helicopter parents a lot of coddling going on with the ontario players you know some of the road trips were all the way across toronto <laughs> and and then the quebec major uh junior hockey league was just either goaltenders, French-Canadian netminders, or guys that got 250 points right. because nobody played defense out there. Now, once you got down to, like, the Memorial Cup, it was the final four of, of junior hockey. The year we went from the Western Hockey League, Mario Lemieux was with Laval. And, yeah, it was it was kind of correct. They yeah. they had him and a few a couple other. I think Vinny Damfus was on that team. And... They didn't play much defense. And Ontario had two teams because it was in Kitchener. And when you looked at them, they they had a lot of the things that you thought they were all about. And then you had the guys from the West. So, uh, But I, I look through this, and the, the reason I bring it up, and there obviously there are reasons. This is not an indictment on anything. I just found it interesting that if you look over the last four drafts, the Stars have drafted four guys from the Western Hockey League and not one of them before the sixth round. Yeah. So not one player up. They've, they've gone in other directions. Uh, Sixth-round pick in 2018 out of Red Deer, Dawson Bartow, and uh, left-winger captain of the Kamloops Blazers who's had a wonderful run, uh, Jermaine Lowen, who's a great story. Yeah. The video plays on the Jumbotron at American Airlines Center about his background and just and I mean it is it is quite a story and he's uh, he's had a wonderful season I mean they don't make the playoffs there without him basically grabbing that team by the scruff of the neck getting them in and then he scores an overtime goal in game two in the playoffs right now uh, in 2017 uh, Brett Davis they took in the sixth round out of Kootenai seventh round again out of Kamloops uh, they take Dylan Ferguson, who ends up being yep. dealt. In 2016, zero. In 2015, zero. You go back to 2014, that's the last time that the Stars drafted somebody out of the Western Hockey League high. It was Yulis Honka from Swift Current, who went 14th overall. You know, he's from the Western Hockey League. For a year. Really, he's from Finland. And uh, in the second round, uh, Brett Pollock from the Edmonton Oil Kings uh, was taken in that in that draft. 2013, Cole Yuli uh, from Kamloops. So three of the seven have been taken by uh, fr from the Kamloops Blazers, who are co-owned by the also the owner of the Dallas Stars, Tom Gillardi. It just it struck me when I started looking back through there. Well, and I looked at a bunch of the numbers, too, and it's pretty much 50-50. Like, if you look over the last decade, OHL versus WHL, mm -hmm. throughout the NHL, it's 50-50 pretty much. There is no real leanings. I did find it interesting that in years when a high draft pick came from either the O or the W, then all of a sudden three, four, five followed in the top ten. Like, all the scouts are watching this high draft pick, so then now they're seeing this guy in the OHL or this guy in the OHL. Now all the guys are out in the Western Hockey League, they're watching the Western League. And Well, well that's the thing. Like, I, I don't think it's just the, the dub. Like, I don't think the Stars have taken a player out of the Quebec Major no. Junior Hockey League in five years. Yeah. Well, and I was going to go to the other point of this. is To me, Dennis Holland is one of their most respected scouts, and he's pretty much Western Canada. And so you would think that his influence would say, 
you know, but, I want this guy right. at this time. But not knowing exactly what goes into all that, I would suspect they have they pro- they've had some of these guys that have gone yeah. higher in the Western Hockey League, and by the time they've come around to pick, the guy's gone. Yeah, the board the so board doesn't you start, match up. So then you start looking at okay, well, who was our next? And it might have been either uh, U.S. junior programs, Europe, uh, colleges, whatever, Ontario, whatever yeah. it is, but. You know, you go back 2012, they took two players from the West. 2011, one. Uh, 2010, uh, one. Oh, nine, again, uh, first rounder. Uh, Scott Glennie went eighth overall. So they, they, they were taking some guys fairly high. The best run they had, if you look at the, the overall players, you got to go back a long way. But from the Western Hockey League, 1997, they take Morrow in the first round. Yep. Out of Portland, pretty good pick, uh, and turned into you know a decade captain. Yeah. Nineteen ninety five out of Kamloops again, they take Jerome McGinley. He was okay. Yeah, he pretty good. They just retired his jersey here in Calgary. Uh, turned into Joe Newendike. Nineteen ninety one, they took Matt Vichuk, uh out of the first in, in the first round out of Saskatoon, and he was one of the core defenders during those great years in the late nineties. And of course in nineteen 19- 88, prior to coming to Big D, they took a guy out of Prince Albert in Mike Madonna. So really, the, you know, the greatest player in franchise yeah. history was a Western Hockey Leaguer by way of your state. Indeed. Be proud of that. I am proud of it. And, and I, you know what's funny is that when we talked to him, uh, the decision to go up there, he wanted to go to the queue, I think, and go be, score 200 points. And the decision to go up there made him a different player, made him a tougher player. You know, exposed him. He, he went up there with braces and had to wear a mouth guard. And then all these guys said, "All right, we got to protect this yeah. guy." And then he had to live in that environment. You know, doesn't matter if you've got a guy protecting you or not. You're still going to be the target of some pretty tough honchos in the Western Hockey League. And Mike Madano had to fight through all that. League's different now. Yeah. I think it would be much easier. I, you know, I talk to people out west, and they say there's really no difference between the Western Hockey League and the Q anymore. Yeah. It's kind of all the same. It's fairly wide open. The game has changed quite a bit. I just, I was pouring through our drafts through the years, and I, you know, again, I have a soft spot for the Western Hockey League and Western Canadians, yeah. and they're just, you know, there haven't been that many taken, not uh, high in the draft anyway, over the last uh, little bit. Sorry? Yeah, people should. <laughs> That's what I want. I want. I, you, want a, I want an apology. <laughs> I want an apology. <laughs> I hope Jermaine turns into I something for us. And, and you know, one, I, I love the Blazers too, just because of the history, because of you, because of Sid. Just you know, he's done a great back. job there too. He's back. Oh, yeah. in, he's back behind the bench. He went uh, behind the Blazers bench late when they had to win every game. So good on Daryl Sador. Yeah. Um, you know, Sador. Uh, Againla, Shane Doan, Mark Recchi, and, and Tom Gallardi are all involved in that team back there, and we should draft more of them. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's, that's the plan this year. Yeah, take more. I think they, I, I counted 16 players from the Ontario Hockey League over the last six drafts. So it's more, but it's not like all of them. Correct. And then, you know, Russia and Finland and We've mined US some colleges and yeah. pretty good players out of Finland through the years too. So I'm just sweet through okay. Yeah, too. I just want to hear from the WHL again early. Come on, do it. Uh, co- our next segment is the, is the biggie because we are inching closer to doing what some people thought maybe wasn't going to happen. Some still doubt possibly. I'll say this, you have to get the fish in the boat before you can mount it on the wall. We're going to talk playoffs next. By the way, we are being brought to you by Tim Hortons and Tim Bits on Rinky Dinking this week. Thanks to Tom. They're delightful. 
Like, I mean, there's certain regional things we sit there and go, well, this is better than that or whatever. Timbits are pretty dang good. Like, who, who first came up with that idea, do you think? Tim? It's the hole in the donut. They sell the hole. But that wouldn't even fit it. You would be missing some, some sort of capacity that should be filled by donut just by skewer. That ball doesn't fit in that hole oh, perfectly. Yes, it, that's where it comes from. I think they shape it. I think they maybe shave some down, and there's there's extra shaving. Tom shavings. No, <laughs> there are no. There's no such thing as Tom shavings. It there's could be a bits. thing. It could be a thing. Moving on. So everybody was very giddy about the potential of a Winnipeg Jet Dallas Stars opening round to the Stanley Cup playoffs, and it could happen. Is For you Stars fans out there that are consuming this podcast and have all season long, we certainly appreciate you. But who do you want our team to face off against in the opening round of the 2019 Stanley Cup playoffs? Of course we're getting ahead of ourselves. That's what we do here. How about this one before we answer the question? Stars will be the lower seed underdog. There's no question. They're not going to win the division all of a sudden. How many times has that happened? That they have been that or that that team has come on? No, no, that the Stars have been the underdog when they've made the playoffs. Well, I mean, 2008 was the biggest one. Where they knocked off Anaheim and knocked off San Jose, both on the road. They won both of those teams. Well, hold it. Were they the lower seed against both those teams? Yeah. They were? Yeah, they were on the road first. They were like the seventh seed that year, Like Okay, so they and they certainly were against Detroit. Yes. So 2008. 2014, obviously Anaheim was higher. Yep. If you go prior to that, they were never the lower no, no. seed. Like won, ever. They won seven, right? six or seven division championships in like seven or eight years. I mean, it was – they were – When would they have been they the lower good. seed to start the playoffs? They well, would get I mean, popped by Colorado. Yeah, technically, but. if you really want to go all the way back, the uh, first lockout, 94-95, they played at Detroit. Uh, they – uh, we all thought it was going to okay. end in game four. Remember, so, they were going to get swept, and then they ended up winning like game four, and we had to go back to Detroit the next day. <laughs> but what are we talking about? Three, yeah, three. playoff years where yep. the Stars have been the underdog. Correct. Heading in. Isn't that unreal? It is. Now, all right, the cynic in me will say, well, yeah, you missed eight times, too. Well, I know, but when, when they've made, when yes. they've made when the they've playoffs, made they've been prime. Yeah. They that, haven't. That they Lindy have, year, they were top team. I would love a few more years of underdog sprinkled in there somewhere. Well, and so, I think that it fits this organization right now to start on the road. Because if you're at home and you have all that pressure, I really think that would be tough. You haven't been in the playoffs the last two years. You have all that pressure. So let's go on the road. Let's go on the road and not have the pressure. Let's have the pressure on Winnipeg or Calgary or Nashville and say, look, you got to go beat Ben Bishop. I think that's a good situation to be in. It's a different thing now, too, because the separation between 1 and 8, 2 and 7 is not what it once was. Although back in the day, man, 7 beat 2 a lot, and there was a chasm between those two clubs prior to the salary cap era and that. But How they, it all started here, remember? I know. <laughs> the, I know. The Edmonton Oilers. <laughs> I remember. A little breakaway, and that's saved by Cujo. So who do they want? Who's, who's the best matchup it's not going to happen I still would have loved Nashville for so many reasons one they've played really well there two Pekka Rene's numbers aren't good against the stars and three we've got the winter classic coming what a yeah. what a better way to start next season than playing Nashville yeah in the that's playoffs. perfect hors d'oeuvre or yeah. fluffer if you will but for I just the don't think classic. the numbers are going to allow it to happen you don't think so no why don't you think that could happen that's good good question Tom see look at that um one, uh, I think Nashville actually could – well, I guess they could catch Winnipeg and then Dallas could play them. Uh, but two, they're uh, – how many – five points back? Is that Are you doing the math in your head? He has the computer. I'm not good at the math. No, Nashville's only two points behind Winnipeg, but they've played one more game, so that's still there. And an outside possibility is St. Louis right now is just four points behind Winnipeg with both of them having six games left to play. Is St. Louis a good match? I don't know about that one. I hadn't even thought about that. Like, I didn't even think St. Louis was a possibility, but that's an interesting one to consider. What do you think? I'm not afraid of anything. Wow. Or anyone. You or think any Ar- time Army would give you some inside place. information? You could help. Uh, he will butcher paper 
my hotel room. <laughs> so you can't even look out the no, window. <laughs> no, no. Uh, you know, again, I am I am so more positive about the prospects of this group going into the playoffs, which seems weird with the season they've had. But when's the last time they had this? Well, 2008 probably. Yeah. The last time they had this good a penalty killing and were great at goal prevention like this crew is. Yeah. And have a netminder in their prime. You know, Marty was in his prime. Yeah. And you got Ben Bishop in his prime. Right and that now. came in Winnipeg. I mean, that's – boy, talk about a confidence boost. Oh, my boost. God. They just – Like, they went in there and they were the better them. team. And I know that, that Winnipeg played Nashville and maybe they weren't, you know, they weren't at their best. But I got to tell you, that was a really good game. And if the Stars lacked any confidence going into that building, they certainly should have it now. But this is what we were talking briefly about last night, even on the broadcast, was, you know, I, I know they had not won in six games in that building and that. But prior to that, they, they won five of eight yeah. <laughs> to start things off. Like they always won in Winnipeg. They've proven that they can win there. They've proven that they can win in Nashville as long as they get 58 saves or whatever. And they've proven that they can win in St. Louis because Jamie Benn just is like a ghost to the St. Louis Blues. They don't know. He gets angry there. I don't know. I don't know. They they have no answer for the Stars' captain. The wild card, if you go into Calgary, if Calgary wins. Yeah, it's the consensus I've kind of been able to mince has been that they, they're not afraid of the flames no. in any shape or form. I, I don't know about that. I get that. I will say this, the, the irony of the flames is they basically play run and gun top line scoring games against well, them, they, which is not yes, what they probably want to be playing in, in the playoffs. True. But at the same time, you know, Giordano should win the Norris this year. He's had that kind of year their captain on the blue line, they, they, can, they can catch you, they can catch you. Can you shut that down over and over and over and over again? Maybe. Same question against Winnipeg. Could, could Mike Smith, I mean, he took a team to the conference final in, yep. in Arizona. Could he get his collective act back together? You got a guy who handles the puck as well, if not better than Ben Bishop. They've got two guys. They're, just like the stars do, that they would feel comfortable if they had to play the other guy, yep. and David Riddick. It, it's inter- it is very, in, in, to coin a phrase, it is very interesting to see that matchup because that really would be the best matchup of styles, right? Yes, I think so. And I love Calgary, and it would be wonderful to spend time here again. I have no problem with any of them. Though. No, I don't either. I really don't. It's funny because being up here right now and even being in Winnipeg the other night, I love Canada, hockey in the spring. Yeah. The importance this country places on it, its citizenship, the, you know, just walking around and knowing this is a big deal. Yeah. You're watching big time hockey right now. And I think that's fun for us. Yeah. The, the, the matchups are, are desirable in all of them, I think. I, I really do. And just to clarify, the only outside other thing that could happen is San Jose passes Calgary. We finish eighth. Tom, that's not going to happen. <laughs> but it can get you into the Wishful ne- thinking, former shark. Somebody from the former shark is in the news. You know what? Sharks, zero cups. Think about that, said Ron Burgundy. Yes. Uh, so what's our answer? If we go around the table, you want Nashville. I want Nashville for Winter Classic reasons. If not, if not Nashville, I want Calgary. Tom, I'm going to just say St. Louis to be a contrarian to it all. It starts of you. with S. It has no. It, it starts has, with S, but doesn't end. It's an with, easy flight. I don't know. I don't know. It's an Jose. Saint Jose is what you're saying. It's close in the yeah, alphabet. Yeah, Have yeah. you seen that, Cody? Nashville. See, you don't even know what you're talking about. I prefaced it by saying I wanted to be a contrarian. Who do you think our fans would want? Nashville. Yeah, so do I. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it really would set up beautifully for if this if, if this league had its act together, they would artificially <laughs> manufacture this first-round matchup. 
basketball would do what that. If it, what if it ends up that way in the last day of the year? It just, <laughs> we're Nashville. Like, How'd honest, that happen? Like, honestly. <laughs> honestly. MMA would make it happen. <laughs> we got, right. We've got ping pong balls we're picking out just to make sure it happens. All right. Tom was talking about uh, San Jose being in the news. And uh, they kind of were in a roundabout way. Uh, verbally accosted by one uh, hairy, uh, hard-playing, Canadian-born, Southern California defenseman. We'll get into his comments next. Just uh, getting to the bottom of the 20-pack of Timbits here on Rinky Dinking. Probably should have got a 50-pack, I think. Huh? That would have helped a little better. Okay, so we all thirst for honesty from athletes, especially you in well, your yeah, line I believe of work. You, you made your claim on New Year's uh, resolutions that you wanted more honesty. Yes, I did. And I'm, I'm getting it now right. from one guy. Maybe one of my favorite players in the game right now. And Tom Holy does not like as much honesty, I don't think, as in your world. Is that correct? I like puckaganda. That's Yeah, well, it's coming. Will there be honesty? The numbers don't lie. Numbers do they? don't lie. They don't Ball lie. don't lie. Numbers don't lie. Like you can make the numbers work for you, though. Yeah, you can. So Drew Doughty blew through here yesterday, and it was like he swallowed a – Gatorade tub of sodium pentothal. Like, it was just... It's been a tough year for Drew. <laughs> but I know, but it was just... It was, it was so awesome, what he, what he had to say. And how often do we honestly get that? It always happens oh, yeah. here. Sean Avery... <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe I'm it's Calgary. Sure, I'm not sure how honest that really was. No, that's true. That might have been fabricated. So anyway, Drew, Drew Doughty... He was trying to say nice things about about Giordano. Yeah. And as a Norris front runner, and and then it just spun into an attack on Brent Burns, which was kind of funny. So he says Giordano has seventy two points and he plays good defense. Burns gets beat three times a game, literally, and everybody has him up for the Norris. I just don't get it. <laughs> like this is a defenseman <laughs> talking about another defenseman again. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This happens all the time in the National Basketball right. Association. And we need more of it in our league. But it was just aren't so... They, aren't these fellow teammates on Team Canada? Yeah, like, of course. They've all, you know, they go back. But it was just, it was just like, did, did he said that into like an open microphone yeah. and uh, scribes and all that? Sure he did. And part of the, the rant turned into his dislike of Matthew Kachuk. And the Kachuk brothers are, are going pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but he just went off on him. And, I mean, he was not holding anything back. You never see this. No. No respect for him. None. I respect everyone else. I'll never talk to him off the ice. He's not respected by most of the people in the league. It's not just me. That's just a fact. He's saying this in Calgary. In Calgary. <laughs> and before they're going to play him that right. night. I mean, it was... He doesn't lack for courage, does he? Well, the name Dowdy, the the definition of Dowdy is, Tom? Brave and persistent. Is there a more fitting surname for a human in our league right now than that? Daryl Ray? Like a ray of sunshine? Uh, it's not. And it's spelled wrong. I know. The So going back to the All-Star weekend, inside the dressing room, which was shared by the Central Division and Pacific Division, in walks Brent Burns with his son Jagger and Joe Pavelski's son Nate. And Nate and Jagger just went right to Drew Doughty and basically told them that they don't like them, that they don't like him. <laughs> really? And they, they jousted back and forth in a joking manner. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen, but maybe Drew took it serious. I don't know. I just, if you go on YouTube, and and you you go to some when he's been miked in that, it is just unbridled passion and competitive competitiveness that comes through. Yeah. No, if it's a bad call or something happened on the ice or whatever, 
I mean, he's engaged. Yeah. Like, he's emotionally engaged in his vocation. And right. it doesn't stop at the end of the game. Like, he's, he's fully immersed, yeah. obviously. Back in the Pacific Division days, it seems like he always brought out the best in Jamie Benn. Yeah. Like, those two just went. And they liked each other, respect each other, but, boy, they went hard. And Jamie always got the best of them, yeah. too. Anyway, love you, Drew Doughty. <laughs> we need more of that. Like, plenty more of that. Because, as you know, over and over you get these homogenized quote. I'm not, I just, especially in our sport, nobody wants to say anything. Nobody wants to ruffle one feather. And maybe it's the season again that yeah. he's had to endure there. They've had championship seasons before, and for the first time in, in a long time, well, re really since he got there, yeah. probably, they, they suck. And it's, He's had enough. That's right. <laughs> He's going with honesty to finish things off. Well, hopefully it's contagious. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I challenge you to go in and ask a few of our players what their feelings on Brent Burns and Matthew Kachuk tomorrow. That should really be your role. I'm going to see if I can get Haskin and fired up and see if he can start spewing the venom. You might want to <laughs> pick not a 19-year-old. How about that? Go with someone a little more... Right. Ask Jamie. I'll rethink. I'll, re I'll rethink <laughs> my question. Look at Tom squirming already. <laughs> You're up next, Tom. Don't you talk in that microphone. Holy Puckaganda is on deck. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Although you didn't go anywhere, I love saying that. Uh, this is our second to last podcast of the season. Penultimate. The penultimate podcast, or the PP. I'm so excited to have Tom Holy back here again for this. There's been weeks where Tom hasn't been with us. I've been here for every one of them because that's what I do. I respect the listener. Some other people at the table maybe don't. I play all 82 every season. All 82. Well, first of all, last week, you want honesty? You want unbridled honesty? Heike came over the top at me and said that I have a bad voice. A bad voice. I have a worse voice. There's some beef in the rink. Wow. If people cared we'd delve deeper into this, they don't. Tom, what do you have for us statistically this week? Well, you know that stats are like bikinis. They what, show a lot, but they don't show everything. Well, let's show you our bikini. In wax that, it, Tom. Wax it. We're going to put some goalie pads on this bikini, though, and just kind of let you know how epic of a season we're seeing from hmm. Ben Bishop and Anton Hudobin. I'm going to grab a Timbit while you go into this. What, what flavor are you getting in there? Chocolates. All right. Well, right now the Stars currently stand at a 922 save percentage, which would be the best save percentage they've had ever in Dallas history. And the last time that we ever got there was 1970. As, as a team, yeah. As a team. So Bishop, Hudobin, and Bo have combined for a 922 save percentage. Take away all those empty net goals you hate, though, and it would be so much better. Uh, 1971-72 in Minnesota. Somehow the Caesar. Well, Worsley was actually the driving Gump. force, but Caesar was there. Andy Moog's favorite goalie. And they had a 9.24 save percentage, which kind of came out of nowhere when you go back through the history of the Dallas the thing Stars. About, the thing about that, that you can come up with that stuff now, but save percentage wasn't really a thing back then. It was just pretty much goals against average. I don't know that they even posted it. In the 70s and 80s. I don't know that they did, but Certainly they've gone back. Certainly in the and, 80s because it was embarrassing. They've <laughs> gone back and retraced it. Right, and they've They've right, come up with nice. all, yeah. Yeah. So we have it, and that year when the Star, or the Minnesota North Stars had a 924 save percentage, Chicago came in at 922 as second. Right now, we're fighting with the New York Islanders who have a 923 save percentage. Islanders. And we're just a tick behind them. Now, when you look at single season save percentage, Ben Bishop can still get the mark which was set by Gump Worsley with a 934 save percentage in the 1971-72 season. 
Marty Turco in 0203 had a 932 save percentage, and Bishop currently has a 932 save percentage. But Turco was 0.9323. Bishop's at 0.9320. So, I will a lot f- to watch there. I will f- and a lot of digits too. And, and we're facing the most shots we've ever faced in a season: 31.5 shots per game. Yeah, it, true. That's the league. It's a. It, it's you know you, you there's some. There's some gray areas and fuzzy edges on all this, like quality of shots, where shots are coming from. I believe in that that stuff now. Like, uh, and you've touched on it with Dominic Hasek, how he kind of right. changed save percentage. Oh, he did. I mean, it was. I mean, he took it to the stratosphere individually, and you know, back when I, when I played in like '91, a good throw, throw a football over the qu- quarter mile, <laughs> like a good. A good save percentage, like a decent save percentage in the league, was like 91%. Yeah. If you stop 91%. Back then, if you were stopping nine of every ten shots, you were kind of doing your job. 91% was good. You get it up around 92-ish, it is outstanding. But that was it. Like 9-1-7, 9-1-2, those were league-leading save percentages. And then this guy Hashik came along. Nobody even thought it was attainable to get to 93. Like, that's a quantum leap. I, I don't know how to qualify it properly to make people understand just how big of a jump that is, but it, it's massive, gargantuan. And he didn't just do it once and, and then back off again. I mean, it was year after year after year after year. And by going to that level, he brought all these others back up again. We talked about it when we were in Buffalo. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, the goaltending has been miraculous this season for the Stars to a point where, and I kick myself sometimes, you get jaded because it's so consistently excellent that you're just kind of, yeah, no, I know they had a breakaway and Ben stopped him and spun around and got his toes together and it was scoreless at the time. I get that, but whatever, that's what they do. So that's a good nugget. Well, and it's a good note. In Dallas Stars history, Right now, Anton Hudobin and Ben Bishop have the best save percentage in the history. 924. Yeah. Q, like See, career. now I, I think in, in, it's great. I'm not taking anything away from them individually, but it does suggest that the maybe the quality or the area of shots is part of the equation. So they're both at nine. Because they're both in there. Right? They're both at 924 with the stars. And you have to go to the next two guys are Kari Lutton and Marty Turco, who were 912. And nine eleven. Yeah. Can I be a contrarian for a moment? Yeah. Aren't that's what seeing, you do. Aren't we seeing one of the highest scoring Seasons. surges in the NHL? Yeah. And, and if they're indeed putting these numbers together in today's NHL, I, I think that's kind of cool too. I mean, clearly they're right. playing in a system that you know. Well, it's like the Islanders to the outside, right? I mean, basically you have the same team. Leonard's a great story. He's right. going to. He's probably going to be a finalist for the Mas- Masterton. He should for dedication to the game. Uh, dealt with uh, mental health issues. And he goes in there along with Thomas Grice, who was there last year. They had the worst goals against average in the league, and they're leading the National Hockey That's It's 31-team jump. And basically there's one change, Right, the guy behind the bench. Well, the GM, president, whatever he is, well, helps, but, helps a lot to set the tone. Well, he sets the tone. but it, You're right, the, the guy behind the bench. You know, like, He knows a thing or two about defensive hockey. And that – leads you to believe that it maybe the structure going on in front of these guys has has something to do with it. Yeah. I'll say this about Marty Turco too before we move on to the second portion of Holy Puckaganda this week. It's a it's a double shot of Puckaganda. Pa pow. Marty Turco that year could have sat out game 82 when he was he he was I think it was for the not Jenny, the save percentage. I think it was the goals against yeah. record. 172 or something like that. It was nuts. And he's like, no, I'm playing the game. I'll never forget that. Like, it would have been – he played a 1,000 games that year. Like, uh, he was like, no, I'm not going to just sit back and say, yeah, I won it. Would have been easy. Nobody would have faulted Ted him. Ted Williams. Uh, but he was like, no, I'm, I'm going to play that game. I'm healthy and ready to go. And, yep. and he did. Still said it. Massive respect. Now we'll get into the sagacious Tyler Sagan. You've – just gone on a rant earlier in the show about Western Canada and drawing from the Western Hockey League. I did go on a bit of a rant there. 
Well, I love Western Canadians. I'm from Western Canada. I think Ty- I love the WHL because that's where I come from. I think Tyler. I want ha- more me. Well, I think Tyler has a beef against Western uh, Canada okay. because he comes out here and he rattles some cages. Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. Since coming to Dallas, he's played 37 times in those barns. He's got 51 points, 24 goals, 27 assists, with th- 11 power play goals. The guy produces at a high level when he comes out to Western Canada. So watch this, this road trip. Watch what, him. What, I wonder how that contrasts with his numbers in Toronto when he has to go back home, you know, in the, you know, the heaven of hockey, if you will, if you talk to anybody out there, or into Montreal. I, I love we, – we have notoriously, as a franchise, excelled at the Western Canadian swing. Now – some of it was because we had a lot of Western Canadians back in the day, but it's continued on. And I, I just think there's been enough guys within the group that, that really do embrace all, you know, being fully immersed and surrounded in it up here. As much as they like to you know, say all the autograph seekers and this and that, they forget it. If you're, if you're a pro in this sport, man, this is – you feel like you're, you've really done something and you're somewhere when you come through here. And, and Tyler, as much as he likes to shrug that stuff off, he is a closet, uh, absolute hockey fan and loves this. He, and I think it brings out the best in him. I think they love the media. Is that the strangest? Like when they Jamie comes out here and he gets hammered in in Vancouver, Calgary. I think he likes it. Yeah. And you know he's not a big fan of having to deal with the media and everything like that. But he understands just how important it is to people out here. And I think they do. They love turning on the TV and hey, look, it's us. We're here in Western Canada. I think they enjoy that. Yeah, I think I think they get when they when they get here and they get the idea that everyone knows everything that's gone on and just from a, a knowledge standpoint and that an expectation they get asked questions they probably don't get asked other places and then just the environment in yeah. these uh, rinks and these buildings out here so good on him I like that that's a good nugget and quickly Tyler you asked in Toronto oh his God, last we four, only have so much his last four podcast. games in Toronto he's got a four game point streak there where he's got seven points well the two best goals. the best note from Western Canada. I thought was the one from last night in Winnipeg on Tyler, which is since becoming a Dallas star, no player in the national hockey league has put up better numbers against the jets than Tyler Sagan. And what does he do last night? He thumps him for two more. And in Western Canada, we've been 22, 11 and four to your point about how we've done in Western Canada Jeez, since you're like 13, a lottery ticker with the numbers. It's great. That's awesome. what you, that's what you asked for. That's what I delivered. You provided digits algorithms and Timbits. That's a winning uh, combination from Tom Holy this week. Tom Shavings coming soon. (laughs) We're coming back to wrap things up. uh, And we have the very patient and always professional Cody Eastwood with Cody's Book Club. Straight ahead. never done this before this is a very uh, exciting segment of rinky dinking we don't read a lot of books on rinky dinking i don't think the individuals who are on the podcast you no know, totes doesn't he doesn't even know what a book is everything's on a device that's how he rocks the world but you had the idea that we do a little cody eastwood book club so what's your question indeed what book has inspired you the most Okay, well, you answer it first. Quiet Strength by Tony Tell Dungy. us about it. I highly enjoyed the way he led his group of men. Football coach, for those that don't know. Tony Dungy coached in Tampa Bay as a head guy. Indianapolis won a Super Bowl. And he kind of learned along the way, also an African-American, finding his way through that realm. Very interesting. Hmm. Good book. Highly enjoyable. The, uh, I'm a magazine guy, and no, don't talk about staples through navels or anything like that, not those magazines, but I do enjoy, I do enjoy magazines. There's a, uh, app called Zinio, 
that I run things through. Yeah, you should mark that down. That's a gift from me to all you podcast listeners out there. Uh, but I, the last book I read was The Captain's Class, which is fantastic. It's, t- it, it's a bit of a tough read because it's kind of the same thing over and over again. But basically what it is, is it's, the, uh, it, it's a search for the, the hidden reason why great teams are great teams. But w- when you go into it, you're thinking, well, there's tons of great teams out there. And this book will take some teams that you thought were like phenomenal teams, and it'll break it down and go, eh, was they really were at that level, at the true greatness level. Did you, you agree with some of that, though? No, some no, of the teams they eliminated? No, but what, when they did eliminate these teams, you're like, how? what? And then they go through it and pick them apart, and you're like, Wow. Still a great team in that, but not the greatest. And that their their goal in this book was to hi- to find what creates the truly greatest teams, you know. And they they basically distill it down to the All Blacks. And but there were like the Islander, the Dynasty Islanders, the Dynasty Canadians teams in our sport, and that. And they'd go through and they're going, eh, yes, but mm, maybe not, not to the true top of the heap uh, level it, it it was really interesting I enjoyed it but it's not it's a lot of the same you know what I mean like you you're through one and you're like oh here we go again with another one here you're looking at me for mine I doubt you have one but go ahead I read too much uh two that Is hit me Zeus? at the right two, it Dr. No, Zeus? two that hit me at the right time I don't know why the go-giver it was a book about um how if you make decisions based off of what's best for everything that's in your environment that you'll wind up succeeding for yourself. It's basically a look at that and it hit me at the right time. And then another one was bounce and it's how to take failure and to improve yourself through failure. And when you fail, you could either hit the ground and stay down. You could bounce back a little bit, but not as high, or you could bounce back and bounce higher like a bouncy ball. And it's finding ways to bounce higher story about bounce houses then uh, i've been in a few bounce houses i've been kicked out of a few um just not taking your shoes physicality and dominating the other kids yeah i take it serious again bounce so we've all looked at uh basically improvement self-improvement angles with our books right that's what we're interested in when I was young, I liked fiction. I, I just what, what kind of I love Louis Lamour. No, I love Kurt Vonnegut. Um, I just like the writing. I like the words. You know who's actually really good? Anne Rice. I like it's the writing. Really I like writing. the words. That's, Pretty much sums up books. I, but I think that's how they work. My point. I know it's a simple statement, but I like how people put words together and I, the words they choose and the tone and the rhythm. Sentences and the flow. and paragraphs. Well, and again, there's more to it than that. There is. <laughs> There is rhythm to reading. Is there? There is. And so, like I said, Anne Rice is, is a great writer. But for whatever reason, you vampire get... Writer. Vampire books. She's a great writer. Okay. Uh, you, get, you, uh, you get into work work, and there just isn't time. Like, I should probably do this There isn't time to read? I don't think there yeah, is. Yeah, I know. It's hard. I agree. Okay, and then the other thing is you're reading all the time for work. Like, I read... Well, that's the thing. I read in the summertime when I'm not... Because the amount of propaganda that you drum up on a daily basis, Tom, it's too much. Holy. Oh my God. Between websites, Twitter, the stuff that comes to us from, uh, media relations and, you know, league notes and on, honest to God, I don't want to read anything. When I get on the plane, for the most part, I'm straight to Netflix and just mindless. Give me some mindless, Comedians in cars drinking coffee. That's not in Cody's book club. No, it's not. I'm go- I'm deviating from the book club, but I wish I, I wish we read more. I wish I read more. Yeah, me too. I'd be a better better person. So for the most part, I'm not kidding. Like magazines, because I can just you know pum 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 pump through them, get I, a couple of little things out of them, and then move on. Now there are certain books I've read. Every, every Harlan Coben book I've read. Every Lee Child book I've read. Every Scott Harvath book. Is that a- and, the one I read every Vince Flynn book, and the funny part are with, you making Heike names was, up now? No, but what Heike was saying about how words and things flow together, I read all those Vince Flynn books, and I'm like, this is great, this is great. I gave them to my dad, and my dad got to like the third one, and he's like, 
no, I, I'm just skipping paragraphs because he basically writes the same thing over and over. And in his mind, he caught his, his methodology and it was all a formula and it screwed him up. Whereas I didn't notice it. You know, what is killing books? Podcasts. Podcasts. But this podcast is actually killing podcasts. We have one more. Before we go, I want to give you a chance, uh, just very quickly. I know we're, yeah. this is a long one today. A lot to cover, though, and a lot of Timbits. Uh, you dug a little deeper into the whole Jason Spezza not being in the lineup the last little while, and even before that, his minutes were being diminished a little bit. I always struggle with this, the age-old battle of father time, with, especially in athletics. Uh, you're trying to hold the term washed at bay. You don't want to be washed. And you, not surprising, no. Jason gave you some great stuff. He was good. And, and you know what? They all were. I mean, if if this team was in third place and flowing along, my, I, my guess is Jason Spets would be in the lineup every day and it'd be very easy. But they got to a point where they've missed the playoffs for two years. They're right there on that bubble and they have to make hard decisions. So the coaching staff in the front office said, what do you need to do? And their decision was to bring up Justin Dowling because he's a guy who, if you're playing him on the fourth line, he can do certain things that help you on the fourth line. Things that maybe Jason Spezza can do on the second power play or can mm. do on the second line. Mm -hmm. But if you if the coach is going to be putting him on the fourth line, then maybe there's a better, different option. So that, I get that. Yeah. But Jason Spezza, like if you've talked to him in the summer, if you've talked to him early in the year, he's working hard at this. Yeah. He wants to be a good player. He wants to be a good professional. He wants to help this team win. But that, and so then when the decision comes, you know what? You're not helping us win. That's really hard. But but the I, I think – Again, what happens with that, and you articulated it well, is that you, as a veteran player, the player that you were, they need, they might need that player. You're not that player anymore, and you can't morph yourself into being the player that they need right now, which is sort of a diminished role from what you were before. Right. It's an awkward place to be in, and it, you know, it's a little bit of uh, sports Darwinism. You know, the strongest survive. And what keeps guys in their mid-30s alive more so than anything is your ability, A, to skate. He's kept himself in incredible yeah. shape. Lost weight. But you have to be able to defend. There's got to be value outside of points and goals. Yeah. And if, if there's not enough of that, because there are a lot of – it's why back in the day some guys make $8 million and some guys make the league minimum. Right. Well, they're not paying you – eight million dollars to check and prevent goals in that you make a lot of money nowadays doing right. that just because of the sport and the way it is which is awesome but you go back to before salary caps in that in order to be paid a ton of money you had to score 50 goals yeah <laughs> like if you if you didn't provide offense that you didn't get paid much yeah and it's sort of it's, it's funny it's a full circle it's the it truly is the circle of life well, and I think one of the things that's Simba, indeed, oh, and a lot of you know, in the pride of lions, in comes a young guy, challenges the king, they put, and then he has to walk off into the Sahara. It's sad. It happens. To I think all one of them. Of, I think one of the problems the fans have is that has somebody really knocked him out of the top six spot. You know, should he get more opportunity in that top six spot? But two different coaches have decided that there are better options. And I think when you get to that point, you just have to trust that the system works and that the coach – I mean, I will tell you this. Every coach wants to win every game. So I've, if they don't see Jason Spezza helping them win a game, well, then that's a statement they're making. Well, again, go to go to DallasStars.com. I guess you're here. If yeah. you're on – you might be already here. Uh, and and you wrote all this stuff down in paragraphs and sentences. Words and did stuff. Did you not? And That was like a – Hike a audio book. Yeah, it was a little bit in Cody's book club. Yes, you added a, layers an audio book. I I'll say this: all Jason said to me at the beginning of the year was, "All I want is a fair shot." I just I just I don't want somebody to tell me I'm done without a fair shot. Right. And I think if he looks back right now, and he hey look, injuries happen and other things happen. You may find yourself back in there and and can be an asset. Uh, in this playoff spot race. But 
I, again, it's painful. It's painful for the individual. Madonna had to go through it. Eisenman had to go through it. They all have to go through it yeah. near the end. And he got a pretty fair shake throughout the year. And right now, just for a need, it's nothing against the individual. And he's such a great pro. And he said that he doesn't want to be any kind of a distraction. And he won't be. And he'll help others. And he's going to end up in the game in some capacity yeah. like that after he's done playing. He just doesn't want to be done playing right now. Yeah. And I don't even think – I think he thought he could play beyond this year, so that's a hard thing for him too. Well, we would like to continue on here too, but we've had enough of book clubs and audio book clubs and we're all out of Timbits. <laughs> so ends – what is it, Tom? It's the penultimate podcast of the season. Penultimate. We're going to wrap things up next week. We'll be back home, I believe, for that one, I think. I'm not even sure. Uh, Cody, thank you very much for putting this all together. Thank you for having me. I used to say that back in the day in the old room store commercials. We put it all together and save you more at the room store. Me and my TV wife, Tamara. You know, blast from the past that has nothing to do with this podcast. I'm rambling. It's worth a Google. Time to go. Google it, people.